But there is something else remarkable about this man. Not only in Genesis 5, where it is implied, but also in Jude 1, where it is stated outright, this man, as he walked with God, also was a remarkable witness for God. You find that in Jude, if you turn with me to Jude, please, to 14 and 15, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, we'll see who those are in a moment, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, what does this mean? Well, for one thing, it means that Enoch's mouth joined his feet in portraying one consistent testimony of a walk with God. His conversation coincided with the rest of his life. He truly walked with God, and part of that walk was a witnessing for God to the sons and daughters of men. So it is crucial, if we're going to walk with God, that our conversation integrates well with the rest of our lives. You see, much harm comes to the cause of Christ when people's mouths attempt to witness for God, when their feet walk a different way, or when people's feet walk in a way that seems to go in the direction of God, but their mouths go a different way. Our mouths and our feet, our actions and our speaking must be consistent if we're going to walk with God. That's what Peter says too in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and then be always ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. So you see in every relationship in which we engage, in every activity in which we engage, we are to set the Lord Christ in our hearts. We are to set Him in the foreground. We are to honor Him. Our, our lives are to sanctify Christ as Lord. Christ is to be the pattern of our lives, Peter says. So that in every sphere of life, we are set apart to Christ the Lord in our hearts. And then you see, our, our conversation, our witnessing for the Lord, doesn't come in a vacuum that is distant from the walk of our lives, but it comes out of the context of a life, a life that itself already exegetes, if you will, the gospel by our very lifestyle. And so when our lifestyle is an open epistle of God's grace, an exegesis of the gospel, then our conversation exegetes that gospel as well as we bring the Word of God to those around us. And then our witness has credibility and power with others. And that's what Enoch had. As he walked with God, he talked with men about the living God. And he warned sinners, ungodly sinners, Jude says, of their coming judgment. So he turned to this line of Cain all around him, didn't he? He turned to this ungodly, wicked line of Lamech. The seventh from Adam confronted the seventh from Adam. The godly confronted the ungodly and spoke 
and unveiled the ungodly's false premises. You see, the ungodly line was living as practical atheists. They were living as if there were no God, as if God was irrelevant to what they did and thought and how they lived. But Enoch came and said, God will execute judgment. He's coming. Actually, in verse 14 where it says the Lord cometh, in the original Hebrew, in the original Greek it says the Lord came. It's in the past tense. It was so real for Enoch. The second advent at the end of the world that it was as if it already happened. The Lord came with ten thousands of his saints as if he says to the ungodly line around him, tomorrow already. Or yesterday it will be like. In no time, in other words, God is coming. And all your ungodly life shall be exposed. Listen to what he says. He will come to with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly, that is those, those he's talking to, among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against God, but also against Enoch. Enoch knew what it was to face persecution, in other words. His witness, his conversation cost him a price. Not quite the price that Abel had to pay. He wasn't martyred. But still today, friends, this is true. You may not be confronted with a spear today or tied to a stake. But if you speak up for the name of God, if you warningly, lovingly, earnestly admonish the ungodly in our society, the ungodly in your own family, the ungodly in our church, you will suffer persecution. You may be bypassed in your job for a promotion, a legitimate promotion. You may be confronted by your peers at high school and college. You may be called degrading names. But Enoch says that means nothing. You must warn from the wrath that there is to come. He witnessed for Christ. Now, he didn't have a perfect life, but he had a witnessing life. May I ask you this morning, or tonight rather, do you have a desire in your heart now? Oh God, may give me more power in my witness, more power to speak, more freedom to speak, to warn, to present the gospel, to be a living witness for Thee, O oh God. Yeah, but you say, but I read that Enoch prophesied. He was he was a prophet. He was. Perhaps like a minister, but, but I'm not a minister and I'm, I'm not a prophet and I'm, uh, I don't have to prophesy today, do I? Do you? Enoch took God's revelation and he brought it to the sons and daughters of men. You and I are to take God's revelation and bring it to the sons and daughters of men. That's what we read in Ephesians 5, verse 11. We are to reprove men. Ordinary believers are to speak of Jesus Christ. When you meet people who say they don't believe in hell, you are to dialogue with them. You are to say to them, well, do you, 
Say to them something like this. Well, do you believe that Jesus was at least a good man? And they say, well, yes, he was a very good man. Well, then you say, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, fear not those who destroy the body and after this have no more they can do, but fear those who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, we are to give prophetic utterances even though we are not prophets. These prophetic utterances are simply taken from the Scriptures. We are to bring the revelatory data, which is the Word of God, to those around us still today. We are to be witnesses for God. Now Enoch prophesied these things to these, the Bible says, and these refers to the rest of the book of Jude. And uh, you will notice that in Jude, that he was talking especially to people who at one time had at least some kind of profession of the Christian faith. You can see that back in verse 4 in Jude. Certain men crept in unawares who were before of old condemned to condemnation. Well, the society of Lamech, you see, also had this confrontation. They, they too, the wicked line had heard from Adam the truth. Luther called the line of Lamech the church of the devil. Because he called it a church because they too had revelatory data. But they abused it, you see. And as to these people who had heard the gospel but turned away from the gospel, especially that Enoch came and said, the Lord has come and He will judge you. And we have a special calling. We have a special calling to reach out to those unconverted people in our own families, to those unconverted people in our churches, to those who are wandering astray, to lovingly, earnestly, seriously exhort them. The more so as we see the day approaching. Enoch had a burden, you see. A burden for the ungodly. And if you participate in the Lord's Supper rightly, and you walk away from the Lord's Supper with love to Christ in your heart, you will have a burden for the ungodly. One of the beginning marks of grace is that when God begins with us and brings us to fall in love with His Son, we also feel a profound love for the souls of others, beginning with those in our own household. So to walk with God and to witness for God are really inseparable truths. And I ask you, I ask myself, do we witness for God? Don't let Enoch only be someone who discourages you because he's so much better than you. But let Enoch be an example to say to you and to me tonight, it is possible in an ungodly age surrounded by ungodly people, even with little insight into special revelation, it is possible to walk with God and to witness for God. Oh, may God help us to be living witnesses for Him and living walkers with Him. The man who walked with God and who witnessed for God went to God. Like Elijah, he went suddenly. He went 
without dying. Genesis 5.24 states it negatively then positively. And he, Enoch, was not. Negatively. For God, positively, God took him. Hebrews 11 sheds more light on that. Hebrews 11 verses 5 through 6. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. So there you see two negatives. He should not see death and he was not found. He should not see death or he should not taste death. These things are synonyms for experience. He did not experience death. He, he knew no agony of the tearing asunder of soul and body. The expression he was not found implies, just like in the case of Elijah, that some people went looking for him. You can imagine, of course, he was a well-known man. He was in the prime of life. He was like a 35-year-old man today, 365 years of age, when, when most people live between 750 and 950 years. He didn't come home that night. It wasn't at the dinner table. People said, where's dad? And where's grandpa? And where's uncle? Where's Enoch? Well, he had gotten up that morning. 300 years in a row, he had gotten up and sought God's face. For 300 years in a row, he was walking with God. He went to his private place of devotion. He had communion with God. He poured out his soul in praise and worship. He set about to do his appointed tasks for the day. And somewhere during that day, he was not. God took him. The man who walked with God on earth suddenly was walking with God in heaven. Many questions are left unanswered. We don't have to probe those questions. We don't even have to ask those questions. We just have to know this much. That this glorious experience of Enoch was not a jarring experience. It was not qualitatively different from what he was experiencing on earth. He was walking with God here. It was quantitatively different. It was an augmented experience. He no longer needed to struggle and to wrestle in prayer with his remaining sin. He no longer needed to face the pressure of an ungodly society. There were whole dimensions of his prayer life that were cut out in an instance. Now it was all praise and adoration and thanksgiving and worship. No longer confession and entreaty and intercession. Oh, happy day for Enoch. This mortality put on immortality. This corruption, incorruption. He walked with God in heaven. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4.
We can't imagine. It's beyond our imagination. But here's a wonderful, glorious truth. Imagine what happened in Enoch's family, in his society. This man who was a a beacon of, of light and warning in all of society suddenly was not. And people said, where is he? They looked for him. They looked for him everywhere. He was not. Because God took him. What a testimony. People have asked the question, why did God translate Enoch? Why did Enoch bypass the experience of death? Well, we don't know all God's answers for that, of course, but I can give you certainly three answers, three reasons why God translated Enoch. The first is that Enoch's translation was a vivid display of God's glorious purpose in His redemptive grace. A glorious display. You see, Adam died. After 900 and some years, the first man died. The promise was, the threatening was finally fulfilled also physically. Thou shalt die. What a, what a, what a funeral that must, that must have been, don't you think? By the time Adam died, he had thousands upon thousands. Someone's figured out, I don't know how many tens of thousands of of grandchildren and great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren he must have had. It must have been a huge funeral. It must have impacted all of society. Adam has died. And there were others, perhaps, that Genesis 5 doesn't mention. Perhaps children that died. And other older people that died after hundreds and hundreds of years. God was confirming on every hand, Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And you see, the ungodly line was saying to one to another, Well, Adam died, but where is the promise of the coming of the Messiah? Where is the promise of Genesis 3.15? Where is the God of heaven? Just like people say today. God isn't, Christ isn't coming on the clouds. What's the use? Of course, today we have, we have the whole Bible to testify against them. They've got the living word. But in those days, what did they have? Ah, God says, I will take Enoch straight to heaven. And I will leave in the midst of this perverse and wicked generation an open public display of my promise that the greater Enoch to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will physically die for the sake of His people, but will go to heaven to represent my church. Oh, that that greater Enoch is still coming. You see, when God took Enoch, He displayed to the whole society that His promise was still true and that He was committed to taking His people, soul and body, to be with Him in glory forever. And so, the translation of Enoch was the next major building block behind Genesis 3.15 in God's progressive redemption upon which the faith of the godly would be built. Jesus was saying through the translation of Enoch much what He said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Believest thou this? Believe it? Do you believe it, Lamech? Now that I have taken Enoch to glory. Oh, my dear unconverted friend. Do you believe it when you see the Lord's Supper? When you see the signs and seals? When you hear the Word of God preached to you? 
the living Word. When you see the signs of Jesus coming, the judgments of God upon us as a people, do you believe it? Do you believe He's on the way? Do you believe He's the resurrection and the life? God takes Enoch as a vivid display of His redemptive grace. And then secondly, Enoch's translation is a vivid display of God's only method of conferring redemptive grace. God didn't take Lamech to glory. God took a man who by faith walked with God. And who by faith pleased God. And who by faith received this testimony? For without faith, Hebrews 11 goes on to say, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh, and this is a description of Enoch, it's going on about Enoch, isn't it? For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Enoch believed that. And God confirmed his faith. And God, by confirming his faith, confirmed that faith is the only way to redemptive grace. It cannot be saved without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God was declaring to Lamech and the whole ilk of the ungodly generation, you either live by faith or you perish. That's what God says to you and me tonight. You either live by faith or you perish. There is no path to glory separate from the path of faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, finally, God translates Enoch to heaven to give a vivid display of the great realities which await all who despise and reject His redemptive grace. You see, there were people surrounding Enoch who said, we live and die like animals. They perhaps joked about the resurrection and the judgment, just like people do today. They sat in judgment on God, just like people do today. If I were God, I'd do this. They spoke casually. They, They rejected God, you see. They no doubt were saying things like this to one another. You know that Enoch, that, 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 that man who, who's so saintly and so holy and judges us so badly. You know, he, he always, he's always talking about another world that you cannot see. Things that don't exist, like heaven and hell and judgment and eternity. Well, God says, I'll show you, Lamech, there's another world. I'll show you there's an eternity. I will take this man from before your face and I will lift him up to glory. And I will show him a world that human eyes have not seen and human fingers cannot touch and human ears have not heard. And I will show you, you ungodly society, that that's where Enoch is. You see, Enoch's translation was a tangible proof of the reality of what he had been commissioned to teach to a gainsaying generation. The judge stood at the door. 
Enoch's translation was a public declaration to the entire ancient world. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or evil, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Enoch's translation, even these many thousands of years later, declares to us, declares to you, my unconverted friend, don't trifle with the doctrine of the resurrection, with the judgment of the body, and with the doctrine of a never-ending eternity. Enoch's translation is God's testimony to you tonight. I have no pleasure yet in your death, but all the truths I warn you of are solemnly true. And if you don't repent and you don't believe, you shall perish. Dear friend, if you can leave this place tonight and you can contemplate these realities after looking at this man who walked with God, who witnessed for God and who went to God and still say, there's no reality in religion except what I see with my eyes, it would be right, wouldn't it, for God to send you to hell this very night. But I warn you in love, don't play Russian roulette with your own soul. Don't resist the kind of intense gospel light that God shines upon you from week to week through the gospel and through the warnings of His Word. But seek the Lord in earnest while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. Amen. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.